Hello, welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Well, hello, Central. It is so great to be with you. Uh, to those in the room with me and whatever campus you are watching this, uh, we're so glad to have you be a part of this as well. My name is Jeremy, and today we're continuing the series that we have been in, The Credentialed Life, looking at the fruits of the Spirit. And so I want to encourage you to get your Bibles out and go to Luke chapter 9. That's where we're going to be in just a few moments. And, and today we're going to look at patience. And that's one of those you either get really excited or you're like, oh no. Uh, and I have had no small amount of people uh, say to me this week, you're not gonna ask us to pray for patience, are you? Because uh, if you've ever done that, you know bad things happen if you pray for patience. So I'm not gonna ask you to pray for that. So just relax, calm down. We're gonna look at a story together today in, in Luke 9 and, and we're gonna just explore what does it mean for us to be a little bit more like God in this area. And so if you get to Luke chapter nine, I wanna read Galatians five again for us. This is the, the, the passage that this whole series is based on where we get the idea of the fruits of the spirit. Such a beautiful, uh, just few sentences of, of what it looks like uh, to, to really be filled with the spirit of God. Paul writes this in Galatians five, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, the reason why we explore this, the re reason why we're doing a series on this is this is what God is like. God is these things. This is what God is like. And so if we want to know why are these things important, it's because these are traits of God. And then if we want to be more like God, right? Then we start to look like God. We start to take on these traits and you should see those as evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that's why we're exploring these together. And, and so I, I thought, all right, I, I get to talk about patience today. This sounds fun. Uh, I, I like patience. And, and I thought this is like a frame of reference. I'll go online. I'll take a patience test and figure out how good I am at patience. Now, I'm a bit of an overachiever. I like book learning. Uh, I'm like, hey, I'm going to go. I'm going to ace this thing. And I'll feel confident going into my message on patience. So I find this quiz online this week. And I, and I go through and I take the different uh, the questions. And I'm answering it honestly. And it gets to the end of it and it gives you like a little paragraph summary of like, here's how you ranked uh, with patience. And the opening line of my results stood out to me. Uh, it stopped me in my tracks a bit and I thought I would share that with you. And I quote, patience isn't your strongest virtue, my friend. <laughs> you can imagine the moment that I had going, Oh boy, uh, I'm in for it. Uh, I'm giving a, a message on something that evidently I'm not very good at. Uh, and so I had a little bit of, of turmoil over this. And then I thought of uh, one of my favorite quotes from a preacher that I love named Andy Stanley. And he gives this advice to preachers. He says, if you preach from your weaknesses, you will never run out of sermon material. 
So do I have some material for you today, friends? I got so much. So we're going to explore it together. But here's the deal. I, I know that you're kind of going, oh man, this guy stinks at patience and he's going to talk to us about patience. Here's the reality. You probably stink at it too. All right, just to be real. Uh, and so I thought it wasn't fair for me to, to have to share my results with you and you not to know how good you are at patience. So I created my own patience test to give you today. Now, this is very non-scientific, as you'll realize, uh, but this is my own test, and this is going to give you a, just an initial gauge at how good are you at, at patience. And so wherever you're at, whatever campus you're on, I want you to play along. I'm going to give you five questions. There are three answers to each question. You're going to choose one of the three. This is very simple. And now here's again, it's not scientific. I'm going to tell you how the test is set up so that you won't game it, all right? The first answer of all of these is the most patient answer possible. Then the middle answer, slightly less patient. The third answer, not that patient. And you'll see how the points add up. Now, here's what I want you to do. We're amongst friends. Uh, we're here in the name of Jesus. Let's be honest, okay? So don't game it and go, hey, I'm gonna ace this thing. I want you just to come up with, when you hear these three answers, you go, that one's me. That, that is for sure me. Uh, and then here's what you gotta do. You gotta keep track of your points, okay? So you're gonna get different points for these. That's how you're gonna figure out your score. It's not complicated. I'll help you, but you gotta, you gotta put a little work in as we go. All right, number one, Here's our first uh, question. If you need to write down uh, your points, if math isn't your thing, get a pen and a paper ready, okay? Number one, which lane of the freeway do you mostly drive in? <laughs> Some of you are, you're like, oh, this is gonna be bad. A, the right lane, driving the speed limit and enjoying the tunes. If that is you, congratulations, that is worth 20 points. <laughs> Option B, the middle lanes, hoping that slower cars will move to let me pass. If that is you, that's worth 15 points. Or C, the left lane, obviously, right? If that is you and you know who you are, 10 points for, for that one. Now, fun side note, this is free of charge. Uh, my dad once gave me advice when I was a kid, long before I could drive, and it has uh, been one of the most profound advice I've ever heard. Uh, when I was a kid, he said to me, Jeremy, you can tell a lot about a person's personality by watching how they drive. This is before I could drive. So I remember thinking, oh, that's interesting. And then I grew up, learned how to drive, and then applied it to his driving, and boy, is it true. You can learn a lot by someone's driving. Okay, so number one. Number two, which hobby appeals to you the most? You have to pick one of these. A, starting a garden, because it's exciting to see what will grow over time. 20 points. B, reading. It's nice to wind down and have some time to think, 15 points. Or running. I like moving fast and getting it done quickly, 10 points, okay? Now you might go, none of those three, just pick one, all right? This is non-scientific. <laughs> Question number three. When leaving the house, your elderly neighbor stops to make conversation with you. Do you, A, take a few minutes to talk and check to see if they need anything done around the house? <laughs> B, clearly A is not getting chosen. B, chat for a moment, then find a way to wrap up the conversation. Or C, make an excuse and rush off. You've got things to do, right? So let's, let's accordingly figure out your number there. Two more, number four. Do you regularly warm up before and cool down after your workout? A, always to keep myself injury free and give myself some time to think about my session, 20 points. B, why waste precious exercise time? 
15 points. Or C, who has time to exercise? <laughs> 10 points. Last one. You're waiting in line to pay for groceries, but you haven't moved for three minutes. Oh, come on now, preach. <laughs> a, do you strike up a conversation with the person behind you while you wait? Oh, you extroverts are like, this is great social time. B, reluctantly wait, letting out loud sighs and checking your watch often. Or C, pack up your car and switch checkouts before someone else does. 10 points. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to total up your score. If you're figuring out my non-scientific test, the highest score you can get is 100. The lowest you can get is 50. So you get a letter grade, okay? So uh, go back to school. I want you to assign a letter grade to your score. Now, wherever you're at, show of hands. Okay, let's play along. How many of you got an A? You passed this test with flying colors. Oh boy, I think like three, I could count them in the room I'm in. That's not, that's not good. Let's be honest, okay? We're all amongst friends. How many of you, if this was a test and you're in school, you would have failed this test? Raise your hand. Come on, yeah, there's lots more hands going up. Now, I don't know where you landed on this. I don't know if you were surprised by your results or if you're like, wow, maybe I've got some work to do. Uh, here's what I would suggest. Uh, most of us are not great at being patient and we're living in a time of, of, of technology where we don't have to be where we have more and more tools to equip us to be less and less patient. On top of that, we have just gone through a year in which we had to be more patient than we have ever had to be in recent memory. We've had to ask questions like, how long do I have to stay at home? Especially if you have young kids, right? Or how long do we have to wear these masks? Or how long until all of this goes back to normal? These are questions that test our patience. And we have all collectively around the world had to endure a year of this, of going through these kinds of things. And here's what I'd like to suggest to you today. Rather than lamenting that fact, rather than going, oh, I'm so glad we're on the other end of it, that's actually a good thing for us. And we go, well, why? Why would that be a good thing? Well, I love what the author Priscilla Shire says. She says, the fruit of God's spirit Okay, virtues like patience and gentleness and kindness are not cultivated in contexts where they are not required. That is a brilliant thought. That these, these virtues that we see, these fruits of the spirit like patience are not cultivated. They are not grown when they are not required. If you are in a situation where you never need patience, you are likely not gonna see patience emerge in the midst of that. But... When you find yourself in a position, you go, I need patience. All of a sudden, you're gonna watch God start to produce that in your life. And so we are coming out of a year of that, a year of the season of patience. But in addition, here's what I wanna suggest to you. If you decide that you wanna follow Jesus, you are signing up for a journey of patience. Now, some of you today, whether you're here or one of our campuses, some of you today may be going, hey, I'm not there yet, Jeremy. Uh, I'm exploring this. Uh, I'm, ex I'm just checking out Jesus. I'm checking out the church. I'm not sure where I'm at. If that's you, so glad that you're here. You are absolutely welcome here. And, and here's a caution to you. You may not want to keep going, right? Because what I'm telling you is if you say yes to Jesus, you are also saying yes to a journey of patience. And some of us, we're not really interested in that. 
And some of you, if you're honest, this is why you've had some friction in your spiritual life already. This is why some of you may feel stuck. You may feel stagnant. And it could be about this idea of patiently following God. Now, I wanna explore why. If you got your Bibles, we're gonna go to Luke chapter nine, verse 51, shows us a day in the life of following Jesus. What was it like to be one of his disciples? It might sound awesome, but as we're gonna see in the text today, there are many moments that would not have been awesome and they would have been frustrated. They would have been hard. And we're gonna look at one of those today. So in Luke nine, uh, verse 51 says this, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John, two of the disciples, saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Now, I love this. If you're like new to the text and this is like your first time reading this story, you probably got that sentence and went, huh? Like, wait, that escalated quickly. Uh, how, how do we get there, right? It's a little bizarre. Let me give you a little context. What's going on? Why is this Samaritan village not welcoming Jesus? Well, the Samaritans and the Jews had like lots of things in common and a few things that they adamantly disagreed on. The two things that they adamantly disagreed on, one of them was about the place of worship. To the Samaritans, they believed that you could only worship God on Mount Gerizim. The Jews said, no, you got to worship God in Jerusalem. Stark contrast here. And, and they hated each other over this issue. And so these Samaritans find out Jesus is passing through our village. Awesome. Welcome him in. Where is he going? Oh, he's on his way to Jerusalem, the Jewish worship site. And they're like, not over our dead bodies. Is he going to do that? Right? He is not coming in here. No way. And so they say, you are not welcome. Tell your, you know, tell your master, because he sends people ahead. He's not welcome here. Why? Not because of who Jesus is, because he's going to Jerusalem as a Jew. That was something they were not okay with. And so Jesus gets snubbed just gets snug, gets rejected. We know what it feels like when someone's like, I'm not interested in you. I don't want you. Hard pass. Jesus has one of those moments. And for James and John, they're like, oh, nobody is going to treat my Jesus like that, right? Ain't nobody going to do that to Jesus. They get defensive. They get protective. They, they get all riled up. Hey, Jesus, we got an idea. How about we call down fire from heaven and roast them? Let's do that. Now, you might think that's, that's a little bit weird. Where did this idea come from? At first glance, uh, especially if you don't know the Old Testament, you're like, um, did they just come up with this? Like, this is like a weird, like just on the spur of the moment. Uh, here's what you got to realize. James and John are acting like good Hebrews in this moment. They are channeling uh, all of their heritage in the Old Testament, those who have gone before them. See, to us, this sounds very strange, but what we may not realize that they for sure realize is that there was once a prophet named Elijah. Big deal. You can read about Elijah throughout the Old Testament. Elijah once did that. He called down fire from God and it worked. Now I can show you that text here because again, you can read all about this. I'll show you a snippet of it. Second Kings chapter one, verse 10 says this. But Elijah replied to the captain. This captain has come to, to tell Elijah he's got to come with him. If I'm a man of God, 
Let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. This captain brought a little battalion with them to forcibly take Elijah. Elijah's like, not gonna happen. I'm gonna call down fire. Then fire fell from heaven and killed them all. Like battalion gone, roasted. So the king sent another captain with 50 men. You guys, you go get him, bring Elijah back. The captain said to him, man of God, the king demands that you come down at once. Elijah replied, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and destroy you and your 50 men. And again, the fire of God fell from heaven and killed them all. Now, if you keep reading the story, it's hilarious. A third guy gets sent and he's like, look, I've seen what happened to the first two crews. Can we not do that again? I'm just gonna ask nicely, would you please? And it's like, uh, uh, it's hilarious, but also sad, right? He's realizing this guy is literally raining down fire from heaven supernaturally. I don't wanna mess with him. Please don't kill me. So this is a famous story from a famous prophet in the Old Testament. James and John are very familiar with this. So they're like, oh, this Samaritan village? They don't want us? They don't want our Jesus? Hey, Jesus, we got an idea. Remember Elijah? You remember that thing Elijah did? Let's do it. You just say the word, Jesus. We believe by faith. You say the word. We're going to rain that down on the sky, you know, and they're ready to go. And, and, and they're all pumped about this. We got a solution to this problem. Notice Jesus' response, verse 55. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. That is not at all, if you are reading the story, if you are in that moment, that is not at all what you're expecting to happen. Jesus looks at them, listens to the suggestion and rebukes them. Now the word that Luke uses here, the word rebuke is an interesting word because normally throughout the gospels, when you see the word rebuke, it is usually Jesus or one of his disciples rebuking a demon. Like literally good versus bad, this contrast, like get out, I, I, you know, I rebuke you. It's usually not used for Jesus and his own disciples. And yet Jesus is making a point, Luke is making a point, that this idea they are suggesting is so far from the heart of God that Jesus doesn't just say, yeah, that's probably not a great idea, guys. He rebukes them for the idea. And I want you to put yourself in James and John's shoes here. How would you feel? Now, again, we can go, well, yeah, that was a bad idea, clearly, but they got the idea from the Old Testament. They got the idea from a story that they were familiar with, a prophet named Elijah, who in the name of God, evidently, did this. And so they suggested again to Jesus and then they're rebuked for it. I imagine they were a bit confused, a bit taken back, like, you're gonna rebuke us? No, 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 we're the ones on your side. There's that village over there. That village over there will not let you come in, but you're not gonna rebuke them. You're gonna, you're gonna rebuke us? I mean, you can imagine the reaction, the confusion. I bet their feelings were hurt. I, I bet they were spitting a bit going, why are we the ones getting rebuked in this moment? Now it's easy for us to judge James and John, but we know what it feels like to suggest something like this to Jesus. We, we know what it feels like to go, oh, we, we can solve that problem. God, let, let me tell you how to fix that. One of the takeaways I have from this story, and if you wanna write something down, is that too often, our pursuit of Jesus lacks the love of Jesus. And we see that with his disciples time and time again. They are pursuing Jesus. You could say passionately pursuing Jesus. And yet, if we do that without the love of Jesus, you're gonna find yourself in these kind of moments. 
where Jesus looks at you and is like, no, we're not doing that. That, that, that idea is not of me. And, and so again, you can imagine James and John going, well, Elijah did it and it was good for Elijah. Why, why are you not on board with this? And yet Jesus says, no. Now notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't go, oh gosh, that is the dumbest thing I have ever heard, right? He doesn't say, James, John, you're out. That is like the worst idea ever. Go find some other rabbi. Like, I don't wanna do this with you guys anymore. You guys are so off. No, he, he patiently says, okay, we're not doing that, guys. And, and, and this is what Jesus often does with us. We, we come up with great solutions to problems. Jesus is like, no, we're not, we're not doing that one. No, no, Jesus, let me tell you, I got this one figured out. He's like, nah, we're not gonna that way. And sometimes even Jesus might need to rebuke us. Like, hey, you're doing something right now and you're doing it in my name because you think this is of me, but it's not. You're pursuing me right now, but it lacks the love that I have. So I'm gonna go ahead and, and say hard, hard stop on that. We're not doing that. But he does not break the relationship. He does not give up on us. He is patient because this is what God is like. This is who God is. And in 2 Peter 3, verses eight and nine say this, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Catch that last line. That's the heart of God being revealed to us. God is so patient. Why? Because God does not want anyone to be destroyed. God does not want anyone to be outside of the love of God. That is why God is so, so patient because God wants everyone to have a chance. And we go, no, I don't, I don't want to wait that long. I, 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 don't, I don't want that. Well, that's, that's the heart of God. God wants everyone to be included. And, and to whatever degree we don't want that, we're going to come into friction, into tension with the patience of God. So Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, Trust me, trust me, this is who I am, I'm patient. I wanna include everybody. So trust me, even when you may not understand what I'm doing. And I think that was James and John this day going, why? Why is Jesus not more mad? Why is he not bothered by this? He's not gonna do anything. He's just gonna let this insult pass. He should do something to them. I love the way that Richard Rohr says it. He says, redemptive suffering instead of redemptive violence is the Jesus way, right? Jesus says, I'm not going to inflict harm on them. I'm going to allow them to inflict harm on me. That's the Jesus way. Patience comes from our attempts to hold together an always mixed reality, not from expecting or demanding a perfect reality. Patience comes from acknowledging God is doing this in a way I would not do this. God is doing something that I don't necessarily desire to happen. And rather than expecting the results, expecting things to play out, I'm going to make room for that. And I'm going to trust God. And so if you've ever tried to follow Jesus, you know, it demands massive amounts of patience. God, why are you not as angry about this as I am? God, why are you not solving this like I could? I mean, this would be so easy to solve. Just solve it. We go, God doesn't seem to care. God doesn't seem to be involved. God doesn't seem to, it really is about patience. Do we trust that, that God is, is still worth trusting in the midst of what God is up to? One of the takeaways, and this is, would be the big idea uh, I'd encourage you, is that the patience of the spirit produces 
opportunities of the Spirit. This is why it matters. So what? Because the patience of the Spirit, the patience of God produces new opportunities. That's what Peter's talking about. Look, why is God so patient? So that there are more opportunities for other people to be included in. God is incredibly patient, more patient than most of us would want God to be. But that is who God is because God is constantly producing new opportunities. God is a God of opportunities, a God of possibilities. He's so patient so that more and more things are happening. And he invites us into this life. And for many of us, we we don't know if we want it. We don't know if we're comfortable like that. Because if we're honest, for a lot of us, we kind of think of patience as doing nothing. We think of patience as the absence of something, right? Patience just means you, you just sit back and you, and you just watch everything else. It's a horrible understanding of patience. Patience isn't the absence of something. It's a fruit of the spirit. It is something tangible that is produced when we start to look more like God. I can illustrate this for you. Um, there's a bird called the kingfisher bird. It's a little bird, but uh, the kingfisher is known for dropping down quickly and diving into the water to get a fish. And it's incredibly fast and cool. And there's this one photographer, his name was Alan McFadden. And he decided, I'm going to capture the perfect photo of a kingfisher's dive, right? When it dives right before it hits the water. And I'm going to let this reflection of the bird, like right when it's doing it. And, and as you can imagine, this would be tricky to do. And so Alan McFadden decided, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to really pursue this and try to get it. And eventually he did. He captured what he considers the perfect photo of a kingfisher. I want to show you this. This picture is incredible. Now I want you to think about the lighting and the angle and the timing and all of that that perfectly captures that moment. All the things that had to go right, right? This bird is screaming down into the water. All the things that had to be perfect for him to capture that. They asked him, how long do you think it took you to get that photo? He estimated 4,200 hours. Now, to make that make sense, if you ran that continuously with no breaks, that would be 175 days since that would not be possible. Let's say you said, I'm going to work on getting that photo eight hours a day, seven days a week. I'm not going to take any breaks. How long would that take you? 525 days straight. That is what patience looks like. Now imagine saying to Alan, hey, patience is a lack of something. That's just passivity. He'd be like, uh, I'm the one that showed up day after day after day after day. 4,200 hours of trying to get one perfect photo. Now, here's what's crazy about that. How many hours did he have to think back before he had it? You know, 4,100 hours, all that time, didn't have the perfect photo. He had to keep going and keep going. So many people would have given up, would have said, no photo is worth that. And yet he kept going. I mean, think about the nature of photography. You're capturing a moment. And yet we often expect immediate results, right? Think about uh, if you've had a wedding photography recently or anything event. We have like 3,000 photos taken of our special day. That's awesome. I'll need them back tomorrow, right? Like immediately give me back the results. We just had this expectation. But patience is the willingness to say, I'm going to do what other people wouldn't do. I'm going to keep at it. And that allows for opportunities that do not exist otherwise. One English writer said it like this. 
Patience is not passive. On the contrary, it is active. It is concentrated strength. I love that phrase. Patience is concentrated strength. It is focused strength, oftentimes in areas that other people would not do. Now, if you think about the flip side of this, impatience, that is passive. Impatience is what you naturally feel when life happens to you. You just naturally feel impatient. Impatience is when other people do things. You just go, oh, I feel impatient. That is a, an impassive choice, right? Or passive choice. Patience is a choice. Patience is a fruit of the spirit to go, I'm not gonna sit in the impatience. I'm not gonna stay there. I'm gonna move beyond it. It takes work and is an invitation from God to us to say, do you wanna be more like me? Do you wanna experience more of who I am? If so, leave the impatience behind and embrace this. Take a step forward and say yes to this. With that in mind, I want you to ask yourself a question. How is Jesus inviting me to be patient? Now you said, you know, hey, Jeremy, you say we don't have to pray for patience. I'm not asking you to pray for it. Just ask Jesus. Hey, Jesus, how are you wanting me to be more patient right now? What is it in my life? that you're inviting me to experience you in a new way. Maybe there's something you've been praying about and you are not getting the answer you're looking for. And you're going, God, I'm, I'm praying. I've said that prayer lots of times and you're not showing up, you're not answering. Maybe it's a chance for you to experience and practice patience. So you go, hey, I, even though I'm not getting that answer, I'm gonna keep going. Or maybe there's something that God wants you to keep doing even though you're not getting results from it. I, hey, I, I, why? I should give up. I should move on. There should be something else that's a better rate of return, you know? And Jesus is going, no, no, I, I've asked you to do this. Keep doing it. Keep, keep doing it. And, and maybe you'll never see the results this side of heaven of what Jesus asked you to do. Maybe just say, hey, just trust me. Be patient, right? How many hours had Alan McFadden spent on a photo that never materialized until the very end? How many things that Jesus asked us to do will we not ever see until the very end? We go, wow, I had no idea. All those years you were asking me to do this, this is ultimately what you were producing. Or maybe if you're honest, there's an area of your life you have stopped trusting God because God let you down. God, God didn't deliver, God didn't show up. And so rather than having to work through that and, and, and push through that, you just, you just close that area off your life. Fine, I'll move on, Jesus. I, I won't include you in that part of my life anymore. Maybe there's this wound that you carry with you and Jesus is inviting you to say, hey, trust me in that. Be patient with me in that. Trust that maybe there's something else that I'm up to. Now I wanna close with one more verse. We read our story today out of Luke chapter nine. And if you keep reading after the gospels, you get to a book called Acts. And Acts could, could kind of be like Luke part two because Luke wrote Acts as well. And, and yet Acts takes place a little bit down the road, right? After Jesus has been, he's, he's died, he's been buried, he's resurrected and, and the, the church is, is born and they got to figure this out. How do we do all this? And so Luke, you know, has his gospel and then he keeps writing. He writes the book of Acts and keeps going. And, and in Acts chapter eight, uh, Luke records this in verse 25. After testifying, and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. See, down the road, the disciples come back to these Samaritan villages 
And they begin to tell him about Jesus, how he died, how he rose again, and how he was alive now. And they go through all these villages that are Samaritan villages because they're no longer defined by just we're Jews versus Samaritans. Now they think of themselves as something beyond that. We're, we're Christians, we're, we're following Jesus. And so they wanna tell other people about it. But I want you to envision how would that have gone differently had Jesus said yes to James and John calling down fire on a Samaritan village? Do you think the reception in Acts 8 would have been a little bit different had they killed off an entire village of Samaritans? It absolutely would have. It wouldn't have been possible for us to have an Acts 8, 25. And yet even more amazing than that, notice who's doing the preaching in verse 25. It is Peter and John. John, the same John who with his brother James asked Jesus if he could call down fire and kill an entire village of people. John got to be the one to go back and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about something that has happened that has changed the world forever. And John is able to go back because God's patience had opened up a possibility and opportunity that John never could have envisioned. John never could have wrapped his mind around that moment back in Luke 9. And yet that is what the patience of God produces. The spirit of God produces opportunities as we join God in patience. And here's what I believe. That right now, whatever Jesus is inviting you to be patient, it is because there is some opportunity that God's working on that if God were to explain it to you right now, it would probably blow your mind. It might even scare you half to death. And so God says, hey, just, just trust me, be patient with me because there is something I'm, I'm working on. There's a new opportunity, a new possibility being produced. And if you're patient and you'll join God long enough, you'll have a chance to see an adventure unlike any other. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to experience the opportunities of the spirit as we join you in being patient. God, as we explore what it means for you to be patient, for your heart to be for all people to be included, may you shape our hearts in the same way. May our desire be that way. And may we join you in patiently working for that to come about. God, may we not close off doors because of our impatience, but may we trust you. May we lean in and may we say yes to what you're inviting us to experience. And may the thrill of the adventure of the Acts 8 moments when we get to see, oh, we had no idea what you were working on. May we get to live in those moments. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.